Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there folks, Oliver here. Uh, we have an awesome interview this week with Lawrence Lushner from TIA. He's the founder of one of the largest micromobility companies in Europe. Uh, we cover a lot of ground on this episode, uh, running through the capital efficiency of the European operators, um, especially in comparison to their American brethren. Uh, and it is generally just a really fascinating conversation um, talking about how uh, European cities have really taken to scooters. Um, before we launch into that, wanted to also give a shout out for Micromobility Europe. That's coming up October 1st. I'll be there. Horace will be there. Uh, a lot of the team and the people who you've uh, heard on the on the show over the last um, year or so will be there as well. Uh, if you are a student or, or an academic researcher or a nonprofit or government, um, you will likely qualify for some sort of discount. So head over to the, to the site, um, check that out. Uh, if you're coming from very far away, so if you're coming from Australia and New Zealand, welcome Antipode and brothers and sisters. Um, hit me up on Twitter and we'll we'll sort out a discount for you as well because I know you're traveling from a long way away. Um, and otherwise, uh, I hope that you guys are really enjoying the show. If you want, if you could, it would be great for you to uh, go and rate our show on iTunes. It helps us um, nudge up in the podcast rankings and people can come and find the show a little bit easier. Um as a quick apology, want to just uh, get ahead of it. Unfortunately, we lost the audio on my side, the recording that I'd made locally. So the what you're hearing is the backup recording uh, for myself and uh, this conversation with Lawrence. Um, but it's hopefully still understandable. I know my accent gets a little bit uh, troublesome, uh, tricky to understand for those of you who are not familiar with the Kiwi twang. Um, but hopefully you enjoy today's show. But with that, over to Lawrence. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Lawrence Lushner from TIA. How are you going today, Lawrence? Hey, uh, great. Thank you for uh, getting me in here. <laughs> Absolutely. Where are you Where are you in the world uh, at the moment, Lawrence? I'm right now in uh, Berlin. Um, so um, that's also where the company is uh, located at. Excellent. Well, can you take us through TIA's story and, and, um, and how you got to, got to here? Sure. So I would start with my personal story. Um, so I started um, collecting the returns of my dad's warehouse uh, when I was nine uh, and setting them on the flea market until I was 16. So um, that was like my, my first start of uh, operations. Um, then I was selling mm. the stuff on eBay when it came to Germany. And then I started a company called Rebuy where I gave uh, products a second life, um, which was at the end the market leader um, for pre-owned electronics. Um, and I led the company for over 10 years. Um, and that's where I really learned uh, operation excellence. Then I went on a world travel of about one and a half years, just surfing uh, my van and I. And at the end of the trip, uh, which was about uh, two years ago, I saw scooters yeah. in San Diego. And I was fascinated how people are quickly using those vehicles instead of using an Uber or a taxi. Yeah, absolutely. 
Nice. So and is that is that the point at which you went back to, to Europe and said, oh, look, look, I'm going to work out how to make this happen? Yeah, exactly. So I came back um, around May, June, um, two years ago. Uh, well, sorry, actually it was last year. I'm sorry. Times are uh, moving fast. So I was coming back yeah. last year in May, June from, from California at the end of my trip. And uh, I thought about what, what would happen if we would um, introduce um, scooters in Europe. And my, my thinking was, well, in Europe, we have more dense cities. Um, second, we have a better biking infrastructure. Uh, and third, the European Union is pushing towards emission-free cities. So yes. taking in those three factors, I said, well, I definitely should start a micromobility company. And it also fits my, my personal purpose. So um, as um, fighting climate change to giving products a second life at Rebuy, the first half of my life, I thought um, this is also a great mission to change mobility for good. And that's why um, I co-founded with my two co-founders um, the company Tier Mobility last year in July. And then things went very fast. I mean, we got our Series um, A funding at the same time as we were um, starting and launching scooters in our first city in October, so just three months later in Vienna yeah. at Scooters. And uh, from that on, um, we have been growing very fast. So um, growing. Yeah, from... I mean, I, I, I read that you've already got to 20 cities. Yeah, so this is, I think, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, we grew from um, one city in October last year now to over 35 cities. Um, oh. we, we are um, having rights. Um, um, around 6 million um, to date. Um, we are 300 people um, and we are um, yeah, clearly leading the herd in Europe and um, trying to give the Americans a hard time here. Yeah, and I, I mean, one of the other things that I found really interesting about um, Tia's story is that you, you guys are developing your own hardware. So that we've been watching, obviously, with the, I mean, Bird just from the last couple of days has released the Bird 2. And that's, um, that's obviously quite exciting. And you guys are, uh, are pursuing that as well. Um, you should take an interesting approach to developing this. I'd love to unpack or hear um, how, how you're thinking about the hardware question. Yeah. Um, so when I looked at the business, um, the mission was clear, change mobility for good. Um, I was also very sure about the market. So I my bet was that Europe's going to be the better market than the US or other places in the world because of the reason I mentioned. And also... Um, when I looked at the business, I wanted to um, have a different approach of operating um, micromobility because when I looked at it, I saw that the scooter's lifetime is only uh, 30 days. So um, I think this is not a feasible business and you cannot sustain a business with 30 days lifetime, especially if you only make money after 90 days. Um, yep. So I thought about how can you run this more sustainable? And I came to the conclusion pretty early on, um, before I actually founded the company, that I, I want to professionalize logistics. So that's why we started in our first city until now. We developed a, um, an operation excellence system that actually takes the scooters off the street um, by us and our operation partners, um, take it to our warehouse. Uh, we do a daily check, um, so a health check. Uh, we can fix screws and, and fix smaller parts immediately. And also we can do bigger repairs at the warehouse. 
and then we can bring them out on the next day in a in the best quality um, to ensure safety towards the customer to to really have um, um, responsibility towards the city that we are not littering the city um, and also it increases the lifetime of the scooter uh, with the same with the same uh, hardware that um, other used and um, I think building a micro mobility business to to fight the climate change and to do it more sustainable with a scooter lifetime of 30 days was something I really wanted to change and we accomplished it um, so with the same hardware we our lifetime is over five months and now with the learnings of um, repairing over 15,000 scooters of, uh, of the nine bots uh, we created a, a massive knowledge about what can break at a scooter and what do you really need to um, and develop for the next scooter um, that it's going to be 12 months so we use that experience um, found the partner in china uh, with okai and uh, we developed a new scooter which is now on the street for about 10 weeks and um, it's just completely different um, so all the learnings went in and now we're seeing lifetime above 12 months excellent cool and and, and with the um, the customer design, can you talk me through kind of the, the interesting points about that? Like what were the, uh, the learnings that you integrated into that vehicle and what, what, what are the kind of, the, if you were to take the top three, what are the most important points? I think the three most important points is, first of all, the, the durability of the, of the vehicle. There are certain parts um, that, that break more than other parts. So you need to focus on those areas of the vehicle to make sure that it's um, more durable. Um, that you don't have to repair a scooter every every week. Um, so I think it's the overall structure of the vehicle and focusing on the on the main parts of the vehicle that can break easily. Um, I think second point is that you need to make sure that you have good uh, good security system. So um, it's not just just scooters are breaking down in times of scooter depreciation. It's also about scooters getting stolen. So I think the, the IoT setup um, and uh, third point is that you um, are having a good overview of um, the fleet where it actually is. So even though it's not stolen, um, scooters can be parked in areas uh, where you don't have a good GPS location. So you need to find ways that you can recover those scooters uh, back to your fleet um, so that they don't get lost. So I think uh, improving those three areas um, was the, the the major goal of developing our own hardware together with Okai. Well, one of the things that um, you know Europe strikes me as, um, as you mentioned actually earlier, you know, because of the fact that you have appropriate infrastructure, how does um, the head start of biking in Europe come through in the adoption of micromobility? Because I don't know, uh, you know, I'm, I, obviously we focus on the U.S. in this podcast a lot, um, and I Horace is very um, partial to, to to Europe, um, but I don't have, have any kind of raw numbers. I'd be curious about um, any data you can share from Europe. Yeah, I mean, in general, Europe is a is a biking continent. So if you look from 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 Germany, um, if you go to the Nordics or go to France, I mean, biking is a big thing. And um, the cities have been building infrastructure for bikes over time. Um, and now even they are in developing more plans to reorganize the city that you can go through the city um, by bike 
and that really leverage um, our our infrastructure that um, scooters can also be driven on this on the on the on the biking lane. So there's massive programs in all kind of cities across Europe that cars um, should have less lanes and bikes should have more lanes. And I think in about uh, I would say five to ten years, the the dominant uh, vehicles on the roads will be micro mobility vehicles like scooters and bikes and uh, cars will not be uh, the dominant uh, vehicle on the streets anymore. So I think this is oh. something where we as the Europeans are really looking forward to it because we just see as because of the density of the city and the health issues um, and also, I mean, climate change, you, you don't want to have cars in the city. I think they're just um, yeah, not the right vehicle anymore. Um, and as you need alternatives to cars, I think um, this is the, the best way to lead the, the change if you build more, more biking lanes. That's all incredibly, incredibly exciting to hear. Uh, we've seen Paris track down from having an almost uncapped system. You know, so when you talk about how cities are adopting this, I mean, Paris, uh, they're talking about getting the cars out of the center of the city anyway. And then they had an uncapped system with 12 operators. And that now they've kind of turned around and they now want to pick only three to four operators. You, you guys have been operating there. What do you think about Paris's response? And how is it indicative of how wider Europe is thinking about how to absorb um, micromobility? So I just one answer because um, I, I forgot to say that. So in in regarding of biking, yeah. So 34% of the trips are made by biking or walking in the EU, and that's comparison to 3.5% in the US. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that gives you that gives you a good understanding um, how much more people are using a bike in Europe and how much better the infrastructure is for bikes and scooters in Europe than in the US. Absolutely. And then in, in terms of Paris, um, do you have any thoughts there on um, on Paris's response to, to the way that it's managed? Yes, I mean, Paris was very open and tolerant to, to change mobility, which um, I think is great. Um, the operators then saw that huge chance to actually deploy so many scooters as they want. And um, this was not very organized, that ramp up. I mean, a lot of players went in. Um, some, some players didn't have uh, functioning operations. So there were many situations where you will found a lot of scooters littering on the street, not charged and whatsoever. So I think now um, we're talking to the city and find a more organized ramp up. Um, and I think the, the city is doing a great approach that um, bringing the players together and to figure out what's the best for the inhabitants um, and also in close relationship with us um, that we're going to have regulation that comes in place um, so that the user experience is great and, and people are loving um, to use scooters on the street. And if it's um, it will be, I think, three to four players will be chosen. And I think it's it's uh, in terms of Paris, a good way to organize that. Um, and also, I think other cities will, will actually learn from that. It's, it's a very pragmatic approach to this whole thing. One, one country that, I haven't, that I've been surprised to watch has been Germany. Um, you, you know, you only have just finally let scooters get onto the road. Uh, they've been, or e-scooters at least, in the sort of the, the burden line model, at least until now, has been banned. Um, and Germany is also car central. And, I, and the thing that I'm, we're kind of, what I'm watching is just 
it strikes me that automakers don't seem to get this, that this is a disruption from the bottom up. Um, what do you think Germany is doing differently about the rollout of micromobility versus other European countries? Yeah, so Germany, we're talking about um, the, the best market in Europe, um, the biggest market in Europe, because um, 20% of all the kilometers traveled within cities are made in Germany. So therefore, it's a massive market and we have over 100 cities above 100,000. So uh, if you talk micromobility, um, there's a massive potential to uh, disrupt the auto industry, which is quite strong in Germany. Um, so if you look at the market, it's huge. Look at the potential, it's great. And then um, as we, we as Germany has always been very tech driven, but also very, let's say, uh, focused on cars, it took a bit. Mm -hmm. until Germany uh, figured out the right regulation for scooters. Um, so it took longer than everyone expected. But since it's out for about five weeks now, uh, uh, we have clear rules how to operate scooters in Germany. And it's not just uh, in a city, it's actually nationwide regulation. So it's the first nationwide regulation in Europe that has been uh, released. And so therefore, we, when we started on the day where it was actually allowed to have scooters on the street, we started in eight cities and we were completely surprised how big the demand was for our scooters. So in the App Store, we went from zero to one over all categories across like WhatsApp and Instagram and Google Maps uh, wow. without, without, without any marketing. Um, so this never happened before. Um, that a company with no marketing just goes on the app store within like lounge and uh, we are in the top five, top 10 since then every day and uh, people are driving um, scooters more than anywhere uh, else in the world on a, um, yeah, on a daily um, perspective. Uh, so therefore, ah, it, was a, it was a tough time to get there, to get the regulation out and now it's clear. Um, and now um, it's for us as we as we are from from based in Germany. It's our home market, and uh, we're currently a market leader here. I think it's it's great to see that people are really uh, uh, enjoying it. And also, what we have to say is we we had to create um, a complete new vehicle because um, the German regulation um, needed. Um, very high standards on certain parts of the vehicle, like in example, the braking power. So the braking power, there were tests made um, also about the engine that um, you have, um, that you're compliant to very high safety standards. And I think this was also very important that we now have a vehicle on the street that has like a double suspension for the cobblestones. It has bigger wheels. It has three brakes, like two manual brakes, drum brakes, plus another electric brake. So I think this is something where, where Germany was very strict, but at the end, the custom experience increased and that ended in um, yeah, the best numbers, I would say, across, across the world. Fascinating. Um, I am really curious because you, you're obviously your partnership is with Okai uh, for your vehicle manufacturing. I, you know, as you say, your Germany is a is an is an automaking nation. There's some of the best cars come out of Germany. So, 
do you see that that the automakers or there are firms emerging in Germany that are going to become dominant in the micromobility vehicle manufacturing space? Um, well, the thing is, it's I think it's quite different from manufacturing a car than uh, than a scooter. Um, so I think um, they I mean they're currently producing and trying to figure out something that's um, that's that could be um, put on the street. But in China, there's many factories who are actually building great vehicles. Um, so therefore, I think for for the next year, I would say China is the place to be. Um, but I think there will be uh, the development will be to more um, high quality uh, scooters. So we are really focusing on building better quality and more durability instead of reducing the price. That's our strategy um, because it's just more sustainable. Um, and I think if if you come to a certain price point, I think it's also get interesting for um, the manufacturers of, of the car industry in Germany to. Uh, also to develop um, scooters. Changing tack a little bit, in terms of your relationships with cities, so what sort of data standards do they ask for in Europe? And you, you mentioned that Germany had a, uh, a, a kind of a nationwide standard for how these uh, these vehicles were going to be deployed. How do, you know, what's the data that you have to share with the city as an operator? And are there different standards for different cities or how, how does that typically work? Yeah, so, you, when we sign the letter of intents with the city, so we never start uh, within the city without uh, working with them together and figuring out how we do it and uh, how many schools we put on the street. And um, there are um, per country and even sometimes per city different standards of data that we that we are sharing. So some cities have um, different ideas what kind of data they want, uh, how often do they want it. Um, some have like really already APIs. Some of them just want to have a report, but um, I would say every month we are sharing data with the cities so that they can learn from our experience um, where there are traffic jams. um, So we can see there's high utilization and they can actually um, learn from that and figure out to uh, reorganize the traffic in the future. So um, I think it's very interesting data for them. We're happy to share them with them. Um, And as we have in Germany, the highest standards for um, um, so we have GDPR, which is like uh, very big in Germany for a couple of months now. So our our data standards are probably the highest as well in, in the world. So I think um, this is something where we are working really close with the city that we are compliant and, and figure out the best data for them. Absolutely. So there's no there's a no there's no like um, common. I'm th- just thinking of the mobility data uh, specification that exists from LA. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, there's many cities across the U.S. that are picking up the same data standard. It's interesting to hear that Europe doesn't have sort of a standard uh, that that everybody's kind of uh, working towards because the Europeans normally are pretty good at like, uh, you know, it's different for every city. That's the part that I heard when you in your in your response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no standard yet. Um, I think if the European Union uh, will release maybe something in the future. Um, then maybe there will be a standard, but currently there's not. Have you had any cities say, hey, look, we want to do integration with you for these uh, these services into our public transit networks? Yeah, so when I start the business, um, I mean, we said we want to be part of the city transportation system. Um, so if, if you want to get cars of the city and 
you want to be part of it uh, and replace it with scooters or other uh, micro mobility solutions. You want to partner with the public transport because the public transport should be the main transportation mode within the city. Um, and that's why we started very early on talking to the city and to the public transports that we are partnering with them to uh, actually solve the first and last mile um, from the underground stations uh, to people's homes. Um, and we are integrated um, in, the, uh, in the Berlin uh, public transport, um, in Munich, um, in other cities in Germany, in other cities in Europe. So I think we already have over 10 um, integrations in the public transport um, apps. So when you book a train or an underground ride, you can actually then connect it with the, um, with the ride on tier uh, on a scooter. And, and the payment is facilitated through the public transit agencies as well? Yeah, so it's sometimes it's like a deep, deep integration. So it's all uh, processed by the public transport app or sometimes it's, um, it's um, um, through us. Yeah, fascinating. And um, what, which city would you say has the, the gold standard of integration that you could, you could point to? I think it's actually Berlin. So I think they're most advanced uh, in Europe then uh, with the Yelby app, um, which integrates all kinds of mobility solutions. So from uh, the public transport to car sharing, bike sharing and us as, as scooter sharing. And I think they did a tremendous job and it will be released um, this month. So it will actually be the first multimodal public transport app I think in the world, so I think Berlin is a is a great example. Absolutely. Well, I'm hoping that some of the uh, the listeners in the audience will be able to come along to our our conference, Micromobility, uh, in Berlin, October first. Uh, head to micromobility.io to get some uh, to get the tickets, and then when we're there, we can all uh, we can all go and uh, experiment and see what this is like. <laughs> uh, as well as here, as as well as here, folks from from uh, Tia come along and speak. Um, Hey, well, look, I, I just wanted to uh, unpack a little bit about your the, the raise. So you guys have raised about 25 million euros in October, is that correct? Yeah, so in total we raised over uh, 30 million. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Excellent. And, and I mean, it's very interesting because you see, obviously, Cirque and Bolt and others. Um, there's been some larger funding rounds that have come around um, uh, over the last couple of months uh, for European operators. Talk me through uh, the funding landscape as you guys see it. Like, what, you know, how are you thinking through funding versus competition, et cetera? Yeah, for us, it was important that we are figuring out how to create sustainable unit economics. Um, and we are already profitable in many of our cities. And therefore, our capital efficiency with our unique operations model by picking up the scooters by ourselves and maintaining and repairing them by ourselves, created um, um, over six million rides within like nine months, which is um, which makes us the fastest growing mobi mobility company in Europe. So we were growing faster than like Bird and Lime in the US at the same time. Um, and I think um, the most uh, stunning um, data point is that we we just needed uh, less than 30 million. Uh, in comparison to like, uh, let's say 300 million. Um, the, the European um, um, investors are um, looking at companies who have a sustainable business here. Um, and I think um, 
when the Americans are growing uh, very rapid, I mean, very impressive revenues. Um, but then also the valuation went up very fast, very high, which created also expectations. Um, and when you are operating this business, uh, which is quite complex as you have multiple cities, countries, um, you have hardware involved, you you really have to um, deliver on, on, on those plans, which are quite ambitious. And therefore, I think uh, when you are going at that pace and you don't get the economics uh, uh, right, um, I think then discussions start. But I think um, the industry will, will figure it out. Um, and uh, we already figured it out that uh, it can only work uh, if you are really in, in expanding the lifetime of the of the scooter and create sustainable uh, economics. I can't agree more. Uh, yeah, the Horison uh, I have oftentimes discussed on the podcast. Horison's very skeptical of the American scooter model. Uh, the lime, the lime and bird one, and, and I think because he's watched obviously the the Chinese uh, bike share bubble, uh, where you had all the dockless bike share operators go around and they expanded very quickly, and then they found that they couldn't make the unit economics work as well. Um, and so I actually have a question there as well. I mean, the you know your lower lowering devices, you know, like scooters. Um, Horace is skeptical of this. He says it's not the right approach. He's, he, you know, he's sort of your idea of having a higher priced but better quality vehicle that lasts longer is a really, it, it, it conforms to that thesis. Curious as to one, your pricing and two, whether or not you think this market will evolve into, you know, um, uh, different type, like different tiers of pricing. So there will be premium vehicles and then commodity vehicles and, and uh, services in this space. Do you think that that's going to happen in the market, or is it, you know, is this going to be a pretty commodity offering for most in most cities? I think in general we have to not only us, but I think hopefully also the others follow with better quality scooters um, because for several reasons it creates better unit economics first of all. Second, it's um, it's creates better city relationship as you don't see scooters uh, breaking down on the street. Um, and in general, sustainability. I mean, if, you, if you're founding a company that should transform cities um, to emission-free cities, you really have to look at the um, CO2 emissions that a scooter is um, causing. And then if you are only having that, that scooter for 30 days on the street, I think that's, that, that's not sustainable. So that's why I think uh, we we all have to push for a longer lifetime. We have to all to have to repair the scooters, uh, and then uh, the the math is is great uh, on the economic side, but also towards um, our planet. And I think this is where where the industry will go to. So better quality, longer lifetime, and if if there's like different packages for different uh, institutions or different. Uh, target groups i i believe so so there are companies who want to have a special model there are customers who want to have maybe uh, different models of like um, um customers who are heavy users um and i think this this is something where we will come out the next couple of uh, weeks uh with different pricing models that uh actually um is the is the right way to get different um target groups 
um, onto the micromobility wave. Curious for you, how do you think that the industry will evolve into the future? One, one open question that I have is, and most places around the world will subsidize public transport. And um, given the benefits that these vehicles bring, there's sort of lots of reasons why we'd want to subsidize them. And yet at the same time, it seems like, as, you, as you're sort of mentioning, you're profitable in a number of your cities. Do you think that, that, that we'll move to a, to a funding model where these things are subsidized? So I think this is an interesting question. So I, I, in general, I believe um, that the cities, um, that's what we're already doing with our public transport integrations, will, will work closer with micromobility companies. Um, it's better for the customer. If they're subsidizing, um, let's see. I think for areas that are not in the city center, um, areas where you have more commuters, I think it's feasible that there um, should be um, some kind of um, support from the city that if you do one or two rides a day, um, that this gets supported. Um, and also, I think it's interesting because uh, we at, at here we can actually do that, like with, with not major costs, we can supply certain stations where people commute to the city, that people can go, go from their home to the uh, um, train station and then take the train towards the city. But this uh, should be uh, uh, supported by the city, otherwise it's not feasible for us to run it. So I think uh, subsidizing, yes, but it would be um, focusing, I think, in the first first wave on the more outer skirts of cities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was, I've been presenting to uh, the councils here in New Zealand over the last week and one of the big things that they've been talking about is a feeder bus to a train station. But oftentimes a lot of those run really inefficiently and so they're not, they don't have very high patronage and so you'll end up with, you know, each rider might be worth, you, by the time you've subsidized the cost of the bus and everything, it might be a a five or ten dollar ride um you know the rider obviously pays a dollar fifty or two dollars or whatever the cost of the bus bus ticket but actually it's a very expensive service to provision but they could give them micro mobility you know they could give them a an electric bike subsidy and it should be far cheaper for everybody involved um, exactly i mean running a public transport system is very expensive and also um yeah increasing the capacity is also very expensive so therefore, I think this, this is where micromobility can help um, to bridge the gap between the homes and uh, the, the current transportation um, infrastructure. And I think it will be done cheaper. Is there, uh, from your perspective, is there uh, any kind of other thing that you'd like, you know, that you think is different about the European model compared to, for example, we do cover the Americans a lot on this show and uh, I'd be really curious as to I mean we've got a lot of the flavor of what you talk about do you want to do it well you're a lot more capital efficient um, you obviously work very closely with cities about how, to, how you do this is there anything else that you think about the, the way the Europeans are approaching this that you think is interesting or notable? Well, I think you caught the, the right ones all right uh, regulation standards public transport I mean maybe public transport interesting that we are co-branding our scooters with the public transport. So when oh, you ride, are you? I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, when you ride a scooter, an example in Munich, it's um, it's yeah, 
it's in cooperation with the public transport. Um, so the cities also um, kind of want to be part of it, right? They want to be part of um, this this disruption of mobility. And either you go in like Lyman Broth and you just start, or you're really creating um, long-term relationships. And that's why we also um, start many times with the public transport together and the scooters are co-branded. Interesting. And so, yeah, because it, it's, it's a different kind of model. You think about something like the Boris bikes in London or the bike share system, the, the sort of docked bike share systems um, that you see in, in a lot of other cities. And um, the, the kind of pushback a lot of the time is, oh, these things are these things are really good, but they're very expensive to run. And um, it's best not to let council run them. You know, it's better to have them be privately operated and sponsored, for example. Um, yeah. So it's really exciting to hear that you've got this um, this liberal public integration, and yet you're also a private company who run your own operations, and you're not, you know, it's not a public company per se, but you're actually a private company that's in partnership with. Um, that's really exciting. Actually, well, yeah. look, I, I, I mean, I think that's uh, all of the questions that I had, but I, I found this a fascinating conversation. Horace has oftentimes talked about the Europeans as just being like a lot more, um, how do I put it, um, refined and sophisticated and evolved in terms of how they think about these things uh, in your rollout. Certainly, uh, the approach that you're bringing, I think, is really smart. So um, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's really, really appreciated. So awesome to have you on and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you at Micromobility Europe in, uh, in Berlin in October. Yes, we do. Thank you. Yes.